Hello, we're so glad you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Leo Alstrom. I'm the worship pastor here at Rolling Hills. And currently we're in a series, The Greatest Adventure. And today we're exploring the different miracles that God did in and through Moses' life. Our God is powerful, and we pray today's message challenges you with the truth. Now here's Pastor Jeff. Uh, well, good morning. Good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. It is so good to be together today. What a great morning of worship already. Welcome to everybody here at Franklin. Welcome to everybody who's joining in online from wherever you are in the city, the country, the world. God brought us here today to hear from him. And happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. I love being a dad. So yeah, happy Father's Day, guys. Way to go. Way to go. Way to go. Uh, I love being a dad. I have so much fun uh, with our kids. But and for all of us, we are here to worship our Heavenly Father. And we have a God who loves us and invites us to call him Father, and that he is with us and he is for us. Hey, I just returned from being at student camp with many of your middle school and high school students, you know, and we had a blast. We were down at camp, and I mean, you heard from Chase and Brandon, but just close to 300, you know, middle school, high school, and adults down there. And God just moved in a mighty way, and it was so fun to be there. And I was telling those guys about when I was a student pastor. So before I was a pastor, I was a student pastor, worked with middle school, high school, and college students, and my first job as a student pastor was in San Antonio, Texas. And so I was there when uh, San Antonio opened what's known as the Alamo Dome. Okay, the Alamo Dome is like this, this big, you know, it's, it's the downtown, it's our, the Bridgestone for San Antonio, okay? It was a big deal because the San Antonio Spurs NBA basketball team is gonna play in the Alamo Dome. They host Final Fours. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a big deal. And so as a student pastor, I was like, we gotta go, right? I mean, like, it's a big deal. It's a big deal in San Antonio. And so I called a buddy. He's in the ticket office. He says, I'll get you tickets, don't worry. But you're gonna be in the upper deck, like back row upper deck, you know? Like, this thing's, I'm like, who cares? We're there, right? You know, because this was a big deal in San Antonio. I mean, like, all the celebs are down on the floor, you know, and everybody's there. So we arrive, we have spotlights going everywhere. Everybody's, anybody's in San Antonio, they were packed it out. It is full, and I've got all these middle school and high school students up at the very top. And the guy said, hey, I also got four tickets on the floor. And I was like, see you, students. No, it's like, you know, <laughs> just kidding, I didn't do that. I was like, oh, what am I gonna do? I mean, I had great tickets down on the floor. And he's like, yeah, I'll give them to you. And so I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll let my parents go. Because my parents, they helped raise me, they're awesome. So I'm like, mom, dad, I'm gonna give you these tickets. And they said, oh, this is gonna be great. We'll take our best friends, we're gonna have a great time. And, and so they were so excited, and so we all go in the night, and it's just awesome. I mean, just everything you think. We get in there, the place is packed, music is blasting. I mean, it was like a you know, NHL playoff game. It was just like going crazy, everything's going. And then they brought the teams out on the court, and then all of a sudden, all the lights went out. And they started doing like pyrotechnic stuff, right? Lasers are going, and everybody's screaming. Then they shot off like fireworks inside the Alamo Dome, like fireworks are going. And it was amazing, and everybody's yelling at the top of their lungs, except somebody forgot to tell the fire department that they were gonna shoot off fireworks. So in the middle of the fireworks show, all of a sudden water cannons, like on level two, and one start firing water all over everybody who's down on the floor, right? So, so we're up at the very top, and we're going, what is going on down there? We couldn't see, and then we saw people just scrambling, I mean, water is just, everywhere, and I'm going, oh no, you know, my parents are down there, you know, and now I'm feeling bad, and so I go running down the steps, and like I leave the leaders up there, and I go down the steps, down the escalators, and, and here come my parents out of the concourse as I get there, and they are just 
dripping. I mean, like, like they got out of the pool. My mom's hair is just like drowned here. Her best friend, water's dripping off her nose. <laughs> and I'm like, are you guys okay? And they're like, yeah, we're okay. I'm like, you know, like, I'm, like, I'm so sorry, I don't know what else to do, you know? And they, they came over and hugged me, you know, and we're all wet, we're all laughing, because who could have expected that? Who could have planned that? And so they go out and try to catch a taxi, because they had parked at the church, and, and no taxi would pick them up, because they were so wet, and so they're standing out there for like 30 minutes. And, and then what happened was then, they came in, and everybody left, right? The whole first and second section, they all left, and we're sitting up there, and I start going, well, guys, you guys want to hang out? This game's gonna happen in a minute, you know? And they're like, yeah, we went on, we go. So, yeah. so we stood there for a while and we waited around and then they cleaned up everything. And then all of a sudden, right, they come out to the game, everybody's gone. And so we moved down and all these students on the opening night of the Alamo Dome, we're sitting on the floor. We're like around the court. We're like $1,000 seats, you know, or $5,000 seats. We're just like, oh yeah, we own this place, you know? It's like, it was incredible. And we had the best time. And they still talk about it today, how much, Fun it was, but here's what I want you to think about. Think about this, that God has invited you to have a front row seat. And maybe sometimes in your life you kind of feel like you're in the nosebleeds up there, you know, and everybody else knows more about the Bible, everybody else knows more about, no, 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 no. Listen, God is inviting you down, and God is saying, I wanna speak to you. I've got a plan and a purpose for you that's bigger than you can imagine. And don't just stay aloof. Don't just stay off in the distance. Don't just stay on the periphery. You come on down. Because God's word says, as you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And we're gonna see today as God just starts to show off and say to his people, hey, listen, I am with you and I am for you. And I wanna have a relationship with you. And I wanna do things in your life that you can't even dream or imagine. Because I will fight for you. I am your God. Personal, I am God. And that's the God that we wanna to see today. And I'm so glad you're here. So, welcome back to our series. We're in this great series, and if you have a Bible, I invite you to open with me to Exodus chapter seven, Exodus chapter seven. And we've been walking with the children of Israel on this greatest adventure, right? These guys were slaves in Egypt. I mean, they went down with 70 people, and then now 350 years later, between Genesis and Exodus, there's about a million Plus, and the Egyptians were scared they were gonna revolt, so they put slave masters over them. They are slaves. And they cried out to God, God, deliver us. God, we need help, we need hope. And God answered. And we saw two weeks ago how God raised up a guy named Moses. And Moses had this spiritual foundation. His mom, like, nursed him, right? And gave him the spiritual foundation. You are to worship the one true God. But then he was raised in the palace. He was like in line to be Pharaoh. He was Pharaoh's daughter's son. She took him to raise and he was educated. He knew how to read and write. He, he was a leader. And he's there in the palace for 40 years. And then he goes out one day and he sees the Egyptians abusing the Hebrews and he identifies with the people of God. He identifies with the people of God and he realizes that he was born for a purpose and born for a reason. It wasn't just for him to be comfortable or to have all these things. And he, he goes and he steps in he ends up killing this Egyptian, he hides him, and then Pharaoh finds out and says, I'm coming after you, and Moses has to flee. He has to flee, and he runs out to the wilderness. And out in the wilderness, he begins to live out there. He meets a guy, Jethro, who's a priest, and he ends up marrying his daughter, Zipporah, and they have a, they have a child, and, and there he is, out in the wilderness. But the same God that was with Moses in the river, the same God that was with Moses in the palace, is the same God that was with Moses in the wilderness. And maybe today you kind of find yourself and you're thinking, man, I'm kind of living in the wilderness. 
I don't know what's going on with my heart and my life, but, but God is with you right there. And God showed up to Moses. And we saw last week God's call, how, how Moses sees this burning bush and he goes over and God speaks to him. And God says, I am. I am who I am, Yahweh. And Moses, I've got a call in your life. Go back and lead my people out of Egypt. And you would think Moses would go, that's pretty cool, God's speaking to me, I'll do it. But no, he begins to offer excuses. God, you can't use me. I'm not great at speaking, right? God, you can't use me. Use somebody else. You ever been there? God, I know what you're calling me to do. I know you're calling me to be the spiritual leader in my home. God, I know you're calling me to serve. God, I know you're calling me to give. God, but God, you can't use me. And God goes, oh yeah, I can. Watch this, you just be obedient and you'll see miracles happen. And so Moses does and he goes. Pick up in chapter seven, verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. So Aaron's with him and he's like, God goes, hey, Aaron will go with you, he can speak well. You're gonna go back to Pharaoh, you're gonna tell him to let my people go and you are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am, I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. 80 years old, guys. See, you're never too old to dream a new dream, right? C.S. Lewis said that. But in your heart and your life, maybe you think, well, you know what, I'm getting up in years, maybe I'll just let the next generation do it. You've got wisdom, you've got experience. You lead out when God calls you. God's not finished with any of us yet. Moses could have stayed out in the wilderness and just died out in the wilderness, but no, he engaged with God. And God did amazing things. So here, go over to verse 20. It says, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials, and he struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. And you would think, well, that would get Pharaoh's attention, right? I mean, like, this plague, the Nile turns to blood. Here's what God does. Egypt was polytheistic, so God just begins to show who's really God. They worship the Nile River, and God goes, hey, just touch it with your staff and watch what happens. It turns to blood. I am the true God. I am the true God. But the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned, and he went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. And then look what happens. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. See, God goes first, the Nile God, right? And God comes and he defeats the Nile, their God, they're polytheistic, but they also worship frogs. Hekek was the Egyptian God, right? They're the frogs. Well, he comes and goes, all right, you want frogs? I'll give you frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace 
and your bedroom and onto your bed, into your houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. How gross is that? I mean, like, you know, you're laying in bed and a bunch of frogs now are all in your bed and all over you. I would be like, sure, let the people go. Get out. This is gross. But no. Pharaoh, no. He doesn't do that. Skip over there to verse 12. It says, after Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs that he had brought on Pharaoh, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. God's like, I'm over it all. Look at this. They died right there. They were piled in the heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. Look at that. He hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. So we got the Nile, then we got frogs, then we come with gnats. Gnats are everywhere. I hate gnats. Don't you hate that? I mean, like, gnats are everywhere. And man, it doesn't get his attention. Then comes flies. Ugh. Flies all over the people, all over everywhere. Still doesn't get his attention. He still hardens his heart. It says there in chapter 8, verse 32, but this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. And then in chapter 9, we got the plague of livestock. And it says this, and the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died. But here's where God begins to make a distinction between the Egyptians and his own people. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the animals belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died, yet his heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go. You're thinking, man, come on, are you kidding me? Your livestock's dying and the Israelites is not. Why don't you get your attention? But then comes the plague of boils, Ooh, all over them. Then comes the plague of hail, and God makes a distinction there. And then the plague of locusts, chapter 10. The plague of locusts, number eight. The cicadas, right? Here they come, right? And all the locusts there, and man, whatever's left of their agricultural, the locusts eat it all. And then we come to the ninth plague in chapter 10, verse 21. And this is the sun god. They worship the god of the sun, Ra. So God says, watch this. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. You ever been in that kind of darkness? Where you can't even see your hand? I mean, like, it can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in their places where they lived. You're thinking, man, this has gotta get his attention, right? But no. He hardens his heart. We'll see next week the 10th plague. And the 10th plague does get his attention. The death angel. And Passover that comes. Now sometimes in these plagues you see that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Other times you see that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And what you begin to understand is the sovereignty of God and the free will of man just kind of intersecting right here. The word hardened in Hebrew is fortify. And after a while, if you continue to harden your heart to God, you know what, it just gets really hard. It gets really hard. And yet God is speaking and God is calling you and maybe you've 
been there. God, you know what God wants you to do. And you're just like, no, 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 no. And the pride and the arrogance steps in and goes, I don't care. I'm not gonna relent. I don't care if you're God or not. And man, in your heart, your life, you're just hardening your heart. The New Testament says, don't quench the spirit. When the spirit of God is moving in your life, that's when you respond. And Pharaoh wouldn't. And I want you to notice every one of these plagues was just meant to get their attention. I mean, you know, boils are tough and flies and gnats and all those things, but, but nobody died until next week. We're gonna see that. Pharaoh started it by throwing all the Hebrew babies in the Nile River, right? But we're gonna see that God is sovereign over life and even death. But all these plagues were meant to say, hey, listen, stop. You're going the wrong direction, Pharaoh. Join me, trust me. But he didn't, and the question is, will we? Will we trust God? Will we follow when God is moving and working in our lives and around us? Will we see him? And will we say, you are God and I'm not? If you're taking notes today, here's some things I'd love for you to write down. If you've got a worship guide with you, if you're online, you wanna go to the Rolling Hills app, I would love for you to get this today because it's so important. Notice this, number one, God is sovereign over all. And sovereign means in control. The sovereignty of God, God is in control of the entire world. Look, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. See, Moses isn't the star of this story. The Lord's the star of the story. The Lord is the star of the universe, right? I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. God is ultimately in control of this world and our lives. And sometimes we think, well, you know, it's really me. I control everything. I do this, I do that. And when you step back and you go, do I really? I mean, like, you know, looking at this, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, looking at this, all the things that happened in my life, God controls the weather, God controls life or death. I mean, I wanna submit to him. I wanna follow him. I wanna find my worth and my value in him because God is ultimately in control. It takes more faith to not believe in God than to believe in God. I remember being in high school and our science teacher was talking about the Big Bang Theory, right? And I remember with my high school mind going, Okay, wait a minute, two rocks collided and all this happened? Like, everybody's different and all, and in my mind I couldn't even grasp it and I'm like, I bang rocks together all the time and I haven't created planets, I don't know. Like, I, I'm trying to figure this whole thing out, right? And I'm like, where did the rocks come from? I, 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 I'm thinking in this process and, and we were talking about evolution. Now, I don't think that faith and science are mutually exclusive. I think God created it all. God created a world that could evolve, right? But, but here I was thinking in high school, I'm going, well, why aren't there like half ape, half, you know, people, people walking around? Like, what happened? And so I asked him, I'm like, you know, why did it just stop at some point? I mean, like, what happened? And he goes, yeah, it just all happened in one instant. And I said, like creation? And he goes, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah. And he goes, yeah, me too. And I said, yeah. He's like, I believe in God. I'm like, oh, me too. And I, I was just thinking, okay, God created it all. There is a solar system. There is an ecosystem. There is a respiratory system. God is sovereign. And when you look at 7.4 billion people in the world and nobody is exactly alike, you understand that there is a God, that he is sovereign over all. I, I remember just kind of reading and studying and some of the greatest scientists that have ever lived have been God-fearing men and women. I mean, you think about it. You go through, right, Isaac Newton, and you go through Galileo and Copernicus and Pascal, and you go all these Francis Bacon. But one of my favorite ones is I remember reading about George Washington Carver. George Washington Carver, what an incredible man. And George Washington Carver loved God with all of his heart. 
And he, he loved plants, he loved agriculture. And one day, George Washington Carver reaches over, he picks up a peanut and he goes, God, you are so big and you are so sovereign and, and God, would you just show me why you created this peanut? And God, what I could do with this peanut, would you just show me? And God started opening his eyes and he went in his laboratory and spent two weeks studying the peanut and he came out with over 300 uses of the peanut. I mean, like 300 uses. He's like, oh my goodness. I mean, shampoo and soap and wood stain and all of these things and cooking oil and all these 300 uses changed the entire agriculture of the United States because one guy's like, God, you just show me. You created it all. God, I just wanna see it. I just wanna see it. I mean, the sovereignty of God. Oh, I love this. Hey, look at this. Everything in all creation is meant to draw us to the heart of the Father. Everything in all creation is meant to draw us to the heart of God. When you go out and you see a sunset, you just go, great job, God. That was beautiful. Man, you crushed it on that one, you know? It's like, you see a sunrise, you see the stars, you see the heavens. Look at this verse here in Romans, Romans chapter one. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, understood from what has been made so that, so that people are without excuse. So at some point you just go, he's God, I'm not. I mean, people all over the world, man, you're looking up, and you know, every civilization that's ever existed has had some form of worship. Why? Because we realize that there is a God. And yet this sovereign God is inviting me into a personal relationship with him. Praise be to God. Check this out. Our God does miracles. Our God does miracles. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then you say, or you say it 10 times, right? God moved in a mighty way. I mean, these guys were slaves, don't miss that. They were slaves in Egypt, the most powerful army at the time. The Egyptians have chariots, they have swords, I mean, they have all this. These slaves have nothing, but they call out to a great God. God do a miracle and God moved in a mighty way. Hey, when it seems there is no way, God can always provide a way. And in your life, there may be something, man, you're starting to pray about, and you're like, God, I just don't know. I don't know if you can bring healing into my marriage. I don't know if you can bring hope into my heart. I don't know if you can draw my kids back to you. God, I don't know if you can bring revival into this land. God, I, I don't know, but God says, yes. I am God, you're not, you trust me. You trust me, see, we are called to have faith. And as Christ followers, we ought to have the most faith that God can move, that God can work, that God can redeem, God can restore. God is at work. We walk by faith and not by sight. And we start to live that way. God, I pray that you would show up in my workplace. God, I pray you would show up in my home. God, I pray that you would do a mighty work. The most incredible thing about miracles, G.K. Chesterton said, is that they happen. <laughs> See, I believe God's doing miracles all the time. I really do, and we can rationalize it, and we can go, oh, well, that just kinda happened. You know what, the word coincidence is not in the Bible. God is moving, God is active. We live in a fallen, broken, sinful world, but God is moving, redeeming, restoring, and he's like, just open your eyes, look around. Look what I'm doing, and join me in what I'm doing. Ask God to do miracles, ask. But when the magicians tried to produce the gnats by their secret arts, they could not. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Can you imagine those guys like, whoa. I mean, this is way out of our league, right? I mean, like, this is the finger of God. 
The people prayed for God, to God for deliverance. And God answered. The people called out to God. It took them a while, but they did, and God answered. What are you praying for in your life that only God can do? What are you praying for in your life that only God can do? I mean, do you have a notebook? You're writing things down, and you're saying, God, I'm gonna pray for this. My family, maybe, you know, it's my grandparents, or maybe, you know what, it's my friends, or maybe it's my roommate, or God, I'm just gonna pray that you would do something that only you can do. Hey, many times our prayers are so small. A lot of times we don't have time to pray because we're so busy, we gotta run off. But, but then when we do, it's like, oh yeah, I gotta pray. Hey, God, help me have a good day. Okay, great, you know, you know, like, hey, God, you know, be with my kids. And God's like, I'm already with your kids. You know, I, for us, we go, man, I wanted to start praying some bold prayers. Let's pray bold prayers. Let's pray, God, you do miracles. God, you do things that we can't dream or imagine. That's why I love being a part of this church. I'll just be honest with you. I love it. Because we've seen God do miracles. We've seen God do things. I, I remember when we were meeting at the movie theater. We met in the movie theater at Cool Springs for five years. We never had a contract. I mean, week to week, we just like, hope we can get in, right? You know, like go. And, and uh, we went through three different general managers. We'd show up, do worship. I mean, it was, it was awesome. We'd do baptism there in the lobby, right, in a horse trough. I mean, it was, it was great, but we kind of knew our time is coming to an end. God, where are we gonna go? We're a five-year-old church, average age 27. We have no money, and, and land's pretty expensive, uh, but God, we're gonna trust you. And we prayed. And you're sitting in a miracle. You're watching a miracle, I, I just, every time I walk in, I'm like, only God. I mean, like, 146,000 square foot building in the middle of Franklin, are you kidding me? I mean, like, when we prayed three years ago, we started for the kingdom, when we were praying, we have a Nolensville campus meeting in elementary school. God, where are we gonna go? And God goes, here, I'll give you 10 acres right on Nolensville Road, how about that, so that we can be a beacon of light right there in the city and the community. Only God. Hey, we're in Nashville, we're praying, like, God, where are we gonna go? And God goes, how about four acres right there in Sylvan Park? I mean, did that work? Yeah, God, that's good, that'll work, you know? <laughs> I mean, there's a guy in our church, he goes, man, I never saw miracles, so I started coming here. And then you're just seeing that, and then you're seeing lives being changed, and marriages being healed, and hearts being redeemed. And I'm just like, that's what I wanna be a part of. I wanna be praying, God, you do what only you can do. God, you bring salvation, you bring hope, you bring help, because God, you're in control. Pray bold prayers. See, Jesus invites us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. What are you asking God to do? What are you asking for in your life? And it's not just, oh God, I want a Lamborghini. You know, it's like, oh really, come on, you know. God's like, I don't want you to be materialistic and consumer driven. Ask in accordance to his will. Ask for healing, ask for hope, ask for revival, ask for God to move in your workplace, ask for God to bring healing in our land, ask for God to redeem your family. Hey, trust that God can do it. And then look at this, God fights for his people. God fights for his people, I love this. The only place where it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. And God's like, man, watch this, I'm just gonna protect my people. You know what, Egyptians, you're gonna recognize that these are the people of God. God provides and protects his people. In your life, you know, there's times that we get worried, we get anxious, and maybe you're in one of those times right now. Maybe you're in a time when you feel like you're in the wilderness. Maybe you're in a time when you just kind of feel overwhelmed. But I wanna tell you, you have a heavenly father who loves you. And God promises to provide and protect. And if we started living in that kind of confidence, 
But God, I don't know how many of these bills paid. God, I don't know what's gonna happen here with my teenager, God. But, but God, I trust, I trust you. And God, I'm gonna fight the battle not by trying to fix everybody around me, trying to fix my spouse, trying to fix my roommate. God, I'm gonna fight the battle on my knees and just saying, God, you provide, you protect. God, you redeem, God, you restore. God, you bring hope, God, you bring help. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you. See, sovereign God is with me. You just put that, it's me. He's with you. He's with you today. He's for you today. He is the great I am. Not just in your past, not just in your future. Oh, your future is secure. But he's with you right here, right now. He's invited you from the cheap seats down to the front row to trust him, to follow him. God is with you, he is for you. Look at this, whatever you're facing today, realize that God's for you. You know, today is Father's Day, and for some of you, it's a great day. For others, it's a hard day. And maybe you didn't have a great dad growing up. I wanna tell you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But don't project that onto God. Don't project that onto God. We live in a fallen, broken world. We live in a sinful world. We have people have free will, yeah, I mean, you... People harden their hearts, but, but, but listen, there is a God who's redeeming and restoring, and there is a God who has invited you here today so that you would know him as Father. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father, our Abba, our Daddy, our Father, you are with me, you are for me, and you love me with an everlasting love. And here's what I think the greatest miracle of all is the resurrection. As God sent his one and only Son down to this earth, and when you and I, when you and I, we were slaves to sin. That's our old nature. We were slaves to sin and we had no help. We had no hope. We weren't getting out unless we were perfect. And none of us are perfect. And we were slaves to sin. We were dead in our sins and our transgressions until God sent his son, Jesus, who died on a cross, who paid the price for you and for me so that we might become alive in Christ. That you and I might have eternal life that we are on this greatest adventure being led across the wilderness, but we are going to an eternal home, heaven that is greater than you could dream or imagine. And God is with us and he is for us in the middle of all this. And the greatest miracle is when you and I respond to the grace of God. At student camp, we were there with middle school and all the high school students, and man, it was just amazing times of worship. But on Wednesday night, I gotta tell you, God just showed up. And everybody's celebrating or worshiping. We just finished uh, talking about the goodness and grace of God and the problem of sin and the remedy of Christ. And, and, and all the students stood up and I said, hey, if you want to respond to Christ, you just take a step and you go to the back and there's adults. And, and I watched as this high school student just steps out and he starts going to the back and the whole place just erupts. Yeah! People are chattering, cheering and clapping. And then here comes another student. Here comes another student. And you just watch as these adults who've been praying and they come running over and are hugging them. And, and you're just seeing life change. You're seeing smiles. You're seeing joy. You're seeing peace. You're seeing God move and God work. And when God changes your heart and your life, there's nothing like it. It's a miracle. We were slaves to sin. We're alive in Christ. And that's what God was doing to all of us. But God doesn't just take us home then. Oh no, God lets us live for his glory and says, open your eyes because I'm still working and I wanna use you now to be a blessing. I wanna use you now to be a blessing in your home and with your friends, with your family, in your workplace. I've put you there for a reason and for a purpose. Hey, is God trying to get your attention today? 
Is there something in your heart, your life that you know, man, God's been speaking to me and I just have been saying no, no, no. Or maybe I've been up in the cheap seats and God's just drawing me close right here, right now. Would you open your heart to him? Don't harden your heart. Don't say no. Say yes. And watch God do what only God can do. I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today. But I know this, God's here. And I know this, sovereign God has invited you to call him Father, Abba, Daddy. And wherever you are in your life, you just call out to him, God, I need you. I need help, I need hope. Maybe today is the day of salvation for you. You've been trying to do it on your own. You've been trying to make it happen. You've become arrogant and prideful. Today you go, Jesus, come into my heart, my life. Forgive my sins, redeem me, restore me. Maybe God's been speaking to you about being baptized. You see others and you're like offering excuses instead of saying yes. Maybe God's calling you to join the church or God's calling you to serve or maybe God's calling you to pray with your family or, or God's calling you to start a Bible study or whatever it is. Would you trust him? So Father God, here we are, your people today. And we've come to meet with you. God, you have taken us out of being slaves to sin. You've delivered us from our Egypt. And they're taking us to eternal life. So God, we come with grateful hearts. We come to worship. We come to trust. We come to follow. Use us, God, for your glory. Use us, God, for your glory and meet us in this moment. It changes forever. In your name we pray. Thanks for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, which is part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can also find great podcasts like Making History, a parenting podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go podcast, and so much more. If you want to learn more about what's going on here at Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect with us. We're thankful for you. God bless.